I might be fudging the numbers a little bit, but really what it is, is there's just been this vast increase in one and two person households in the last 60 years. So basically the way that we're living is different, but the way that we're building is the same. So building smaller spaces that two people would be happy living in is a, you know one of the solutions to the problem. Welcome to the Construction Disruption Podcast, where we uncover the future of building and remodeling. I'm Seth Heckerman of Isaiah Industries, manufacturer of specialty metal roofing and other building materials. And today, my co-host is Ryan Bell. Our goal here at Construction Disruption is to provide timely and forward-looking information regarding the construction world. As part of that, we look at new innovations as well as trends and practices, building materials, the labor market, and leadership. If it's something that we believe will impact the future of building and remodeling, we go out and find a leading expert on that topic and invite them to the show as our spotlighted guest. Today, that guest is RJ Adler, the Director of Growth at Wheelpad. Based in Vermont, Wheelpad's goal is to make life easier for those who are faced with injury, disability, or chronic health problems. They offer personal accessible dwellings for living and healing at home. When life brings challenges with mobility, Wheelpad solutions avoid months of waiting for renovations to existing homes by offering home attachments as well as backyard tiny houses that can instantly make any property safe and universally accessible. RJ, welcome to Construction Disruption, and thanks so much for taking the time today. Thanks so much for having me. So here in just a moment, we want to ask you about the backstory of Wheelpad, how it all came to be. But first, can you give us an overview of what you folks offer and uh, also what the process is for someone to buy or lease one of your units? Yeah, um, I'd say you gave a pretty fantastic overview right there. Um, but the the basic idea is that we are uh, another option when it comes to uh, home accessibility we're another option when it comes to universal design uh, or helping folks live in the way that they want to in the place that they want to. Uh, so that is, uh, you know, our our bread and butter products uh, are, you know, small home attachments that we build on wheels, 200 square feet of universally accessible space, a bedroom and a bathroom where if you want to age in place, if you need to recover at home after an accident, if you need to add on some space quickly so you can move your mom or dad in with you instead of moving them into a nursing home, if you just need to add some more space for a growing and changing family, uh, you know, Wheelpad can uh, deliver and install uh, a 200-square-foot bedroom and bathroom in much less time than it would take you to do a renovation on site. Uh, so it's, uh, you know, I, I'd say your your description was was way more eloquent than mine this morning. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, yeah, I had the benefit of pre-planning it out rather than being put on the spot. <laughs> so uh, yours was great too, but such a beautiful concept, anxious to learn more. Can't imagine that in those quick transitions, often unexpected transitions, not having to deal with the emotions and stress of also having to uh, change living arrangements uh, in the process. We had one previous guest on the show, uh, Rosemary Rossetti, that uh, she was in a 
tragic bike accident and uh, ended up going home to a house she realized was not equipped for life in a wheelchair, um, but she loved the house. So the extra uh, toll that puts on uh, someone in such a stressful time, I'm sure, is uh, if we can alleviate that, that makes a huge difference. Yeah, Rosemary's uh, Universal Design Living Lab is really fantastic. And she's actually who introduced me to uh, Isaiah Industries and and the Construction Disruption podcast. She's like one of the, she's the Ben Cohen or Jerry Greenfield of the universal design Mm -hmm. industry. Um, uh, For the folks that aren't in Vermont too, that's Ben and Jerry's. Uh, (laughs) Such a a neat program she has over there with the Universal Design uh, Lab in Columbus. I encourage anyone to look it up and uh, take note of the beautiful Oxford shingle metal roof uh, that's installed on top that we're we're very proud of. But uh, So thank you for that overview. Now uh, let's dive in. Tell us the story of how this came to be, uh, whose brainchild was Wheelpad, and and how did it all come together? Yeah, Um, so Wheelpad was born out of necessity. Uh, and, uh, the, the short, long story is Riley poor, uh, was in a traumatic accident in 2015 and that resulted in quadriplegia at the time he was about to head out to Portland, Oregon to start a new job. And he thought, okay, I'm just going to find myself an accessible apartment. No big deal. Going to live my life. Go on. Well, it turns out finding an accessible apartment was a big deal. He couldn't find one. So he spent nine months searching for one while living in a hotel. Uh, then he decided, I can't find it. I'm just going to buy a house and renovate it to suit my needs. And he reached out to his godparents, uh, Julie Leinberger and Joseph Sincata. And at the time, they had been running LineSync architecture for 25 years down in Wilmington, Vermont, which is in the southern part of the state. And um, they went through this design process to design uh, Riley's house in a, in a way that, that he was going to be able to live in it. Uh, Within that, you know, that was another nine months. Riley had to stay in the hotel, and then he finally got to move into his own space. Within that time frame, there was this discussion of, gosh, what if there had just been this box that you could have attached to your house or attached to your mom's house or attached to a rental that would have had all of the bits and pieces that you needed uh, in order to independently live your own life? Well, gee, that would have been a great thing to have. Well, gee, what a great idea. And then, you know, that's where Wheelpad was born. Uh, And, uh, you know, from there, we uh, are are currently looking to build our own manufacturing, uh, because we've sort of worked with with great uh, construction partners and contract manufacturers to help us build product, build a brand. Uh, And, you know, now we're, we're taking off our training wheels. Fantastic. Uh, thanks for sharing that story. So uh, the customers you're working with currently, is it uh, most often a tra- you know a transition solution or a permanent solution? Do you find uh, what's the mix there? It's really up to the customer. Uh, I, as much as possible, don't want to prescribe my product or prescribe anything. So, you know, we try to be as flexible as possible. Wheelpad can come on wheels and it can stay on wheels for folks that only need it for a short period of time. 
say, you know, if they're recovering at home after an accident, but they expect to make a full recovery, they're not going to need it forever. They can lease it from us. Or maybe it's, you know, a diagnosis of a certain disease, uh, like ALS, where you know it's a temporary need, but you don't know what temporary means. Sure. Wheelpad's happy to buy a wheelpad back from that customer if they decide to buy it, install it, and maybe 10 years later, they don't need it anymore. Well, we're going to be paying to build the next wheel pad anyway, so why not, you know, pay our customers back, refurbish that, be able to, you know, put that back out into the world, serving another family. It's really, it's really up to the customer in that way. We can also, you know, put it on a, a permanent foundation type, be it a helical pier foundation, full foundation, in order to make it just part of a house. You know, not to give a non-answer, but it's really up to the customer in the way that they decide to use it. We've had customers that have gone in both directions. You know, when I was reading about Wheelpad uh, ahead of our conversation, you know, top of mind or the kind of the the reference I was thinking of with your services was someone who went through, you know, a health crisis or a challenge that resulted in this uh, accessible living need. Um, But in your introduction, you listed a whole lot of other scenarios that uh, you're finding um, people are, you know, yeah, finding use for this type of unit. So uh, bringing a parent in or just living in space. So you're finding all across the board, um, there's multiple uh, multiple scenarios that people are finding a need for this type of solution. For sure. Especially if you look at Wheelpad as a part of the accessory dwelling unit industry. Uh, so for listeners that are new to the construction industry, right, this is a newer part of the construction industry where the modular modular unit that can be delivered to a backyard and installed that has its own kitchen facility, uh, sleeping facility, bathroom facility, that is just flexible space that can be used for a whole number of different things. And, uh, you know, so whether a family, again, is looking to house a parent, maybe they're, maybe they have a child that uses a wheelchair and, uh, you know, they're getting a little bit too big. They want their own space. They want their own room. This is a way to get that without having to make all the decisions that come with designing something specific or, you know, without, especially if you live in the, in the North, like we do, um, without having to have your backyard be torn up as a construction site for the four days of summer that we're lucky enough to have. Uh, (laughs) so you know, focusing, you know, focusing on that time element, there are, there's a lot of benefits that come with, with modular construction. So there's, there's, yes, the quick, Keith just got in a car accident and we need to, uh, and and he needs to find a way home. Um, but there's also the flexibility and that's, that's really what I like to focus on, uh, for, as, as I talk to folks. Is it sounds like it's pretty customizable as far as you guys being willing to work f- with the customers. Is is there kind of a one size platform that you build these on, or is there different sizes available and options when it comes to that based on what their needs are? Yeah, so there's um, you know there's different sizes. Our smallest is uh, eight and a half by twenty four, uh, and then we also have a slightly larger model that. Uh, is a little bit longer. It's eight and a half by 28. And that has enough space for a kitchen. So, you know, depending on what the customer needs are, 
there's there's certainly ability to customize the interior you know it's really easy for us to switch which sides the doors are on where the window is that kind of thing it's a little bit more difficult to move the bathroom around because that's that's designed in a certain way but we've had customers that have said well we're going to get the smaller ad pad uh the smaller wheel pad and add it onto our house with a kitchen in that in that connector or with a laundry room in that connector so you kind of get the flexibility of building on site with the predictability of modular construction and that makes that dreaming process a little bit easier for the customer. So as that part of that process, are you engaging in the conversations with a local contractor that the uh, the customer has brought into the conversation? And what does that relationship look like? That's a really helpful relationship for us. So once we deliver a wheel pad, we, we kind of move into the role of architect. Uh, and the local construction partner, that's a person that's on the ground, you know, making the making the connection to the house if it's something that's going to be connected to the house or coordinating the you know connection to utilities if it's you know going to be in the backyard uh that person also presumably if they've been a, a contractor in their uh in their community for a long time they have a good relationship with the folks in the zoning and permitting offices so they can help us as well with getting that permit through if a permit is required. That's sort of one of the known unknowns about Wheelpad is, you know, what are towns gonna think about it? Some towns like the wheels, some towns don't like the wheels. Uh, so working with that local knowledge and that local uh, connection helps us grease that project through, but also we're putting in a medical necessity for folks. So towns understand, okay, like this is to get Bob out of the nursing home. This is not to get uh, an Airbnb up in the backyard. So we, we're telling a good story, and that's really helpful. Of course, one day we're going to run into a town that doesn't want more housing built in it. I, you know, I haven't run into one yet, but we we work with those local construction partners because uh, that way we have an on the ground trusted resource that's able to put everything together. Yeah, and we, we've been brought in on a couple of conversations. Uh, customers of our products wanting to use it on a tiny house and have running into zoning and permitting issues because the town's looking at it like a permanently parked RV, which most neighborhoods aren't too excited about. But you all obviously have a, a much bigger story and in, in conversation around uh, what you're actually accomplishing for folks. So that's got to help during that process. It certainly does help. I'd say what also helps is that towns are opening up their eyes to what tiny houses, what accessory dwelling units can do for the housing shortage. You know, as those laws become more progressive, we're able to put these in more and more communities. You mentioned uh, Wheelpad getting set up for manufacturing, um, bringing this to scale. So what's the vision for that there in Vermont, regional manufacturing? Uh, what's the plan right now? Plan right now uh, in down in Wilmington uh, is to start our, our manufacturing down there. You know exactly how it's going to go. Um, we're we're still working out those details. It may start with having our construction partners build the shell, and then we finish it with uh, you know our own our own wheel pad employees working with with local construction partners in Wilmington. Uh, eventually, getting to the point that we can do everything ourselves. 
But what's great is that we still have these contract manufacturing relationships with folks across the country. So if we do get a big order, we can reach out and say, um, hey, can we get five? Because, you know, we're working with the, you know, Idaho Office of Refugee Resettlement or something like that, and they want a whole bunch of them. Very cool. Uh, doing some research ahead of the, uh, our time, uh, watched a video on YouTube of one of these kind of being built, or maybe it was the prototype, but it was really neat seeing this, uh, you know, all of your architects involved kind of bridging this gap between art and function of it's not, doesn't look like a utilitarian hospital room on wheels. So, uh, tell us some of those neat design elements, both functionally and artistically that go into a wheel pad structure. Yeah, uh, so folks can can see some pictures of the interior on our website uh, to to get a better understanding for those that are just listening. Um, but Joseph is an architect first. When it comes to the room, he wants to design the coolest room in the house. He doesn't just want to have this space where we're going to dump our family member, <laughs> right? Sure. So making it feel like home is just as important as making it functional for the person that's going to be living in the in the space so that that means not having uh you know not having the drab gray that comes with so much you know so much mobility equipment uh the the walls are an unfinished plaster uh a skim coat of plaster which gives it a feel like a home not like uh an an institutional setting um hardwood ceiling hardwood floors uh, you know, there are those pieces. So that's sort of, that's sort of for the feel. And, you know, he's, I've heard him say, like, I, when I first became an architect, I was, I was all about function, not form. And, you know, very quickly, I realized that if people don't feel good in a space, it doesn't matter how well it functions. Um, so, you know, the other benefit of that is these are all natural products that we're using, which, is you know has a universal design function to it as well because a lot of folks that have mobility challenges also have uh, have adverse reactions to certain toxins so having a low toxicity environment is really important for them you know so that's sort of a hidden universal design feature um, we have you'll see if you look on in interior pictures on the website there's some wainscoting on the walls and that's just plywood right but it's cut in a way that it looks good, it looks interesting, it fills the space in the right way. But also, new wheelchair users often bang up the walls because of you know they're they're learning how to get around again. Sure. And it's it's a whole lot easier to replace a piece of plywood than it is to replace a hole in the wall. Um, when I used to tell that story, I would say a $20 piece of plywood, but then <laughs> I can't say $20 piece of plywood anymore. $50 piece of plywood, unfortunately. How does, uh, how does like the heating and cooling and plumbing work? Does that all tie into the current home in some way, or does it come with its own solution for that? Uh, yes, to, to both of those questions. So heating and cooling, we use a heat pump, and that just uses 50 amps of electricity, uh, which is the biggest electricity use that comes with the pad. Uh, so what we do with that, with the electricity and then the water and wastewater is hook up to the host home and you, you know, as much as possible, try to use the systems that are already on site. So if it's connected to a sewer, 
great. Go through the basement, connect to the sewer. If we have to, we can make a new connection to the road. But uh, that's that's a pretty big uh, that's a pretty pretty big project to undertake with water and electricity and wastewater. These aren't proprietary technologies as to how to make the connections. It's something that a licensed plumber, a licensed electrician, they're going to do in their sleep. Um, so you know that that heat pump is all installed, ready to go. Just needs to be plugged in. You're obviously passionate about wheel pads, mission, and uh, yeah, business. So tell us a little bit about your story, how you came to uh, be in your position there, and what you uh, what your role is. Yeah. Uh, so I got. I started my career as a high school teacher, uh, and I, I loved teaching. Um, I was teaching in Wyoming at the time. I uh, moved back to Vermont because my family was here. And uh, I, I also had a, a keen interest in uh, green building and found my way to a solar company here in Vermont. So here I was selling a new technology and, and sort of building a market. And was like, huh, this is a lot like education. Um, you know, I'm just talking to adults as opposed to talking to middle schoolers and high schoolers. I would treat them the same way. I just wouldn't tell them. <laughs> um, because my goal is to help folks understand the new product more so than to sell them the new product, right? If somebody calls me at Wheelpad saying, you know, I'm looking for this solution, I want to help them find that solution whether or not Wheelpad is a part of it, right? So, you know, I, I spent my time in the solar industry and I really liked it. I got a call from my boyhood summer camp. Uh, they were looking for a, some, some help in their development office. And I thought, oh gosh, I can't turn this down. Uh, so I, I went to work for, for Kiwaden for a couple of years doing fundraising, very similar to sales. Um, then things got more serious with my wife. I, w- I was living about an hour and a half away from her. Um, I kind of became a uh, boring person because my only hobby was driving to go see her and <laughs> uh, eventually uh, moved to central Vermont from where I was living in western Vermont uh, and and made that career switch. Uh, and as I was making that switch, I thought, okay, I'm going to start a company to help Vermonters build backyard accessory dwelling units. There is a housing need and there's people that need housing and there's people that have money for housing they're willing to pay rent you know so it's like and there's people that have backyards so you know what's what's the connection here and that was an industry that was growing more out west than out east uh and as i was doing my research for that i found wheelpad and very quickly realized that it's going to be a lot easier to start that with this team than it than it is to to do it on my own my my coming to wheelpad was more from that side of things, and we're we're just just starting to roll out our uh, first designs for what a an accessory dwelling unit wheel pad is going to look like. Um, they're not yet ready for prime time. We're still talking with with manufacturers, but I'm looking forward to the day that someone says, "Huh, you know that that makes sense." Like I'm going to install one of these in my backyard, and you know for the next ten years. I'm going to use it, you know, as a, as a rental for people in my community. But then, you know, at that point, like maybe my kid is going to want to move back to, back to Vermont, you know, and their family can live in, in the main house and I can live in the wheel pad and, and, you know, live, live on the family compound again. So 
it's it's just it goes back to that flexibility of space and similar to the solar industry i think the adu industry is looking at the housing crisis and saying how can we provide a market solution here and that's you know the solar industry figured out an easy way for people to put solar on their house as a market solution to the energy crisis and you know this is again looking at the housing crisis to say what's an easy way for people to build housing in their backyard and following the same trend banks are starting to starting to open up loans specifically for accessory dwelling units and towns and cities as i was saying earlier are opening up their their permitting similar to accessory dwelling units so you're seeing this this similar track as to where the solar industry was 10 15 years ago uh, and it's it's a it, it's it's a good roadmap in terms of you know how we can continue to solve problems in this way yeah it's exciting to see it trending that way and having that clear example of a uh, coming into maturity industry like solar to that it's tracking with or modeling currently. So uh, can you, maybe I'm totally off base, but I feel like middle-class America and up, this idea of a housing shortage uh, may be thought about as a very urban type of problem with homelessness or, uh, you know, gentrification, you know, a high housing costs in Brooklyn type of problem. But you're talking about this in Vermont, not uh, not the state that comes to mind for most. So can you educate me, give us the quick elevator pitch on what this looks like in your backyard and then nationally, obviously something you're incredibly passionate about? I've spoken with people all across the country about housing because it's my job, right? And there's nobody that says, "Oh yeah, we don't have a housing shortage here." Right? I mean, it's there there aren't enough there aren't enough houses for the people that live in whatever place it is, be it you know, the middle of a city or or the middle of the country. Um, you know, I I I I don't want to I don't want to think in the way that, you know, if if a hammer is your only so if your hammer is an only tool, every problem is going to be a nail. But I do think that housing comes into many conversations about economic development in in small communities because people need to live places. Um, so I think it's, you know, what I love the name of your podcast, Constru- Construction Disruption, you know, ADUs are a disruptor industry to the way that we've been building houses for the last 60 years. Um, there's a, uh, a great a great thinker, great industry leader named Cole Peterson, uh, who would be uh, great for this podcast to come and, and talk about ADUs. I'm happy to make the introduction. Um, he wrote a book called Backdoor Revolution. He also has a whole series of classes about how you can DIY your own back backyard accessory dwelling unit. Um, the second half of that book is all about how city planners, politicians, folks that are making decisions can make it easier for folks to do it at home. And uh, in one of his classes, he shows these series of graphs. And the first one being, this is how we build in America. And, you know, two thirds of the places that we build are for families of three people or more. And that's how we lived in 1960, but it's not how we live now. And he shows the next graph, which is that you know, less than a third of the households in America are three or more person households. And in the last 60 years, there's been this, 
real increase in the number of households that are just one or two people. So, you know, in a lot of ways, the housing shortage is just that, like, we've got the space, we just are filling it with not enough people. Uh, so, you know, certainly in Vermont, you're seeing a lot of old Victorian houses that are being split up into smaller apartments uh, or, uh, you know, backyard accessory dwelling units, that kind of thing. But you don't have to have a ton of space in order to do this. You know, coal lives in coal lives in Portland and Portland is the the, the birthplace of a lot of progressive zoning laws. Um, but but the real density that comes around ADUs uh, is something that he's been a, I mean, I, I don't think, I don't think Wheelpad would be able to be in the place it is today without the work that Cole did industry-wide uh, for, uh, for towns and cities out West. Was that a good answer? Yes. Okay. <laughs> no, yeah. Lots of great information there. So thank you. And obviously would love the introduction to Cole. I'm going to uh, pick up his book when we're done here, but so to, let me make sure that yeah I understood. So let less than a third of households in America are composed of three people or more. That's yeah. I mean, it's wow. I might be fudging the numbers a little bit, but really what it is is there's just been this vast increase in one and two person households in the last sixty years. So basically, the way that we're living is different, but the way that we're building is the same. So building smaller spaces that you know two people would be happy living in is, a, you know, one of the solutions to the problem. And it's funny because I say this and, you know, right now my wife and I are, are kind of part of that problem. We, we bought a 200 year old farmhouse um, and we're currently making a roommate, but it's not here yet. So, uh, <laughs> you know, we're, we're, we're soon to, we're soon to be in that third. Um, but we also, we have some extra space and are actively working on building a, uh, an ADU back there in the, you know, in the planning phases of building an ADU back there. Very cool. Yes. For those listening, by the time this is live, RJ and his wife will be the proud new parents of uh, a baby. So very exciting. So uh, making time for us in the weeks leading up to a delivery, that is a big deal. So obviously you care about what we're talking about. <laughs> yeah. Well, also, um, you know, just sort of to pull the curtain back a little bit, um, on every meeting that I'm a part of, especially recordings, things like this, I've got uh, Julie, who's the CEO of Wheelpad. She's kind of on standby in case, like, I got to jump. Um, but, you know, fortunately, knock on wood, uh, you know, baby's not born super early, um, as in three and a half weeks early, which would be this morning. <laughs> oh, good. So. Well, fantastic. We'll be uh, praying for you guys in these this next new adventure. But. But thank you for that background through RJ, a little bit of a curveball taking the conversation there, but um, very interesting. And you know, bottom line, it's safe to say if we've been doing something the same way for 60 years, it probably has room for disruption and innovation. We need to be thinking outside of the uh, 1,800 square foot, three bedroom house uh kind of box that we've been stuck in for a long, long time. So uh, exciting that Wheelpad and others are are leading us in that direction. So do you have any favorite stories? You, sh you shared Riley's story earlier, but other stories of customers across the country you've worked with um, w through Wheelpad that uh, they've been able to accomplish their needs with your solution? Yeah. Um, 
so good story. This was, uh, this was happening just around the time that I was joining the team. Uh, we, uh, we built our original model with the, the cadets at Norwich University. And uh, one of the folks that called us at that time, uh, his name's uh, Ed Little, and he, had, he was a veteran with ALS. And he thought, this is a great product, but I'm looking for, you know, I, I'm looking for something where I can put a queen size bed in it as well. And with our skinny models, and we make them skinny so you can easily pull them behind a pickup truck, um, y- there's really only space for a, a twin, maybe a double. Uh, so he said, hey, could you make something a little wider? Uh, so out of that was born what we call XL pad. So it's, it's 12 feet wide, so it is an oversized load. It does need to be delivered by a professional. Um, and uh, since he was uh, a veteran, that project was funded through the Specially Adaptive Housing Grant from the VA. So through that process, Wheelpad became a recognized builder with the VA. And now we can help out folks all across the country who want to use that grant. And actually, really exciting, we're, we're uh, starting our second SAH project here shortly uh, with a family in Long Island. Um, but, but Ed said, you know, I'm, I've got ALS and I can't use my legs anymore, but that doesn't mean that I don't want to sleep next to my wife any longer. So uh, he... He got the XL pad. We, we developed that new project for him. It looks awesome. We put on a great siding that matches their house. It's up in Jericho, Vermont. And uh, unfortunately, uh, Ed passed away a couple years after. And then we reached out to Anna and we said, which is his, uh, uh, his widow, and we said, Anna, are you open to, you know, do you still want your wheel pad? We can take it back right? I mean, we can, it can serve another family. And she said, oh, no way. This is the coolest room in the house. And this is where I feel closest to it. So I, you know, I never want you to take this away. Uh, and now there's, you know, now there's a house in, you know, one more house in the world that's, that's universally designed, uh, for, for the next person. Uh, so, you know, that's, that's a cool story in a lot of ways, but I'd say my favorite is just that, like, you know, it's where she feels closest to Ed, right? That's beautiful. So as director of growth for Wheelpad, what are your strategies for spreading the word uh, word about what you're doing and con- uh, connecting with potential customers? Um, I mean, I'd say you're, you're listening to it <laughs> uh, right now is, is certainly making connections with, with other folks in the industry. But as I said earlier, I view myself mostly as an educator and, you know, we, you know, Wheelpad has the fortunate problem right now of of having more people that want Wheelpads than than we have available. Um, so we're we're actively working to build more and and get them out the door. But there's sort of this larger conversation about universal design and accessory dwelling units that I I get to have with everybody every day. Uh, so and again, like when. When a customer calls, it's it's more about finding a solution that works for them. It's less about finding a it's it's less about making a a sale, right? I'm not interested in selling boxes. I'm interested in helping people sell solutions. And when people say, "I don't think this is going to work," I say, "Cool. Well, when you you know if you, 
if you when you finish that edition, send us pictures type of thing. Um, you know, I'd say all the traditional methods of outreach we're working on, be it, you know, social media, website, blog, being parts, uh, you know, being con- connected with other industry leaders. Um, you know, every time that I run into a cool podcast like Construction Disruption, you know, I'm telling other folks about it because we're, this is such an early industry, right? Like, like we are, you know, anytime that somebody puts in an accessory dwelling units, anytime that somebody builds a universally designed space, that is going to support everybody that's doing anything in the industry. So it's a rising tide raises all ships. And, you know, we're going to be, we're going to be singing that song as much as we're, as we're, you know, singing our own, if not more. I, I love what you say about, you know, you consider yourself an educator and not a salesman. And I can't speak for everyone, but I know I'm guilty of this as far as not being very aware of the issues that people face when they have these things in their life come up. And one of my good buddies, his mom was in a terrible car accident and uh, was paralyzed. And, you know, I would probably never think about these things if it wasn't for talking to him and hearing his story and what he's, you know, him and his mom have dealt with and the issues he's faced trying, you know, simple things like getting a ride somewhere. Um, you know, the time, amount of time she spends waiting for someone to, to pick her up or, uh, you know, and, and living trying, she moved from where she was at, at uh, to here in Columbus to be closer to him and his family. Um, but the issue, just the issues he had finding an, an accessible place for her to live. Um, it's just not, it, it, it's not something I think all of us probably think about if we're not in touch with somebody that's affected by it. Um, so the education part of it is huge and spreading the word um, is huge. So thank you for, you know, what you guys do to raise awareness about it. It's that's, that's a huge key, a huge part of all this, I think. Yeah. That thanks. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm lucky to be able to do this every day, but there's also this idea that, you know, Joseph likes to say, we wouldn't consider building a house for, you know, one, one type of religion. We wouldn't consider building a house for, you know, one race or one culture. But here we are building a lot of houses that are cutting out people that that need universal accessibility. But then there's also the idea of like what is accessibility and who needs it when. So certainly there's there's permanent there's there's permanent disability where you need it all the time, but you know, what about when your wife's in labor and everyone in all your parenting classes are saying Oh, you know, if you have one of those shower handles that can come off the, you know, come off the wall and you can, and, and you can spray her back while she's in labor, like that's really helpful. Well, damn, I wish I had a universally accessible bathroom at home so I could do that. I mean, we are like, we live in Vermont and, and we're, we're not hippies. So we are having going to a hospital. So hopefully we're going to have that available to us. Um, <laughs> Um, but even when it comes to like washing my dog, so it wouldn't, you know, it wouldn't spray water in his face. Even if it comes to me just having a headache in the shower and it's nice to have a, a handrail to grab on some, to something, or maybe I'm going camping with a bunch of buddies and I've filled up my cooler with, you know, some, some beverages and some food and some snacks and all that kind of stuff. And well, I stood wrong for 25 years of my life. So I have a bad back. 
in my house, I'm going to have to lift up that cooler, shimmy it down the, you know, two or three steps that I got and then, and then put it into the car. Whereas if it was a universally designed house, I could just roll it right out of there. So, you know, there's, there's permanent disability and, and temporary disability if you're recovering from, you know, an, an accident. But then there's also these situational uh, disabilities that we find ourselves in. I mean, anytime that I, anytime that I put on my headphones so I can talk to a customer and type at the same time, like there, I'm just using some accessibility equipment. Um, and it's, it's situational, right? I'm not having to do that kind of thing. Um, so, you know, universal design is good for everybody. It's, it's not just for this, for this, this one, uh, one population. It's a great way to put it. Not my words, you know, (laughs) other other people that I've that I've that I've spoken with and have helped me understand this. Yeah, like Ryan, I've uh I took note of your story of education and where that has taken you in sales. So as a uh sales leader here, you need to be looking for disillusioned educators who are looking for a career change that can uh, be good consultative salespeople. That's <laughs> That's not the takeaway. <laughs> no. <laughs> we need good teachers. <laughs> very good well rj this has been great uh thank you so much for the conversation uh now need to ask you as we're reaching uh the end of our time uh and we like to end with maybe a little bit of a light-hearted note uh which with a round of what we call our rapid fire questions where we have seven questions range from serious to silly uh to let us get to know you a little bit better uh as always uh listeners rj does not know if he agrees to do this what the questions are ahead of time but are you willing to participate in our rapid fire question round 100 percent. fantastic ryan you want to alternate back and forth on asking them sure cool first we have seven so the first question what is your most useless talent That is awesome. That's the best response we've had to a rapid fire (laughs) question, I think. You win the award. So for those who are not watching, that was not just standard whistling. That was some sort of whistling through his hands where he can add some nice vibrato to the happy birthday. So that was fantastic. Thank you. You spend enough time alone in college and (laughs) you learn how to do that kind of thing. Um, Are you most productive in the evening or morning? Morning. Yep, you fit in well with this group, I think. Uh, so this, we uh, planned these questions ahead of time, not knowing you were a former teacher. So, uh, but third question: If you could teach a high school class on any subject, what would it be? Psychology. I was a psych major in college, and if I could go back to teaching, it would be to teach psychology. That's also the class where I took AP Psych when I was in high school. I was I got into it by the skin of my teeth, and I I came home, I would come home every day and I would tell my mom, oh, this is the cool thing we learned in psychology. This is the cool thing we learned in psychology. Uh, and around December of that year, my mom was like, you know, RJ, got to say, I was a little bit worried about you before you started talking about psychology. I was like, what do you mean worried? And she was like, well, I just thought you were a little bit dimmer <laughs> than your brothers. Um, <laughs> I don't think that's not exactly what she said. And she says that's not exactly how this story happened. But... Uh, I remember it's it a better way. story regardless you just needed to find something interesting in enough there you go yeah 
So what did you teach? Did you teach psych or what other subject did you teach? I got to teach uh, a, a one, uh, it was a one semester elective psych course. Um, gave me a better understanding of psychology than I'd ever had as, as, as a student. Um, and I was also intern teaching in middle school history and high school English throughout that year. I was just going to add, I think we're, there's a little bit of a pattern here. Seth, isn't he maybe the second or third person that has answered that question with psychology as what they would teach? Yeah, it's pretty common. So It is, yeah. Interesting. It's cool. It's cool stuff. Okay, next question. Who is your favorite band or musician? Right now, I'm going to say Lake Street Dive. Uh, they're just, they're groovy. I'm not cool enough to know who that is. So what's the genre, if it can be defined? They're like, they're like, funk meets a rock band the lead singer is a woman named rachel price she's this like amazing alto uh and uh but but all of them together just just make a a fantastic a fantastic crew um they've got a great song about selfies called bad self-portraits we'll be looking them up a favorite question here on construction disruption do you prefer the top or bottom half of the bagel top i want the flavor and and plain bagels are ridiculous. I I don't I don't understand why anyone would make a plain bagel. It's like making a cider donut without sugar on it. I I yeah. Well, a plain bagel is the perfect cream cheese delivery device. Maybe that's my why I like the bottom. I guess I don't know. I like the everything bagels. There you go. What is uh What is your bucket list vacation? Um, I, I'm gonna say going to the Azores. Uh, because that's where. My wife and I were planning to go on our honeymoon and uh, we had, we were planning our, our wedding for the summer of 2020. And then, well, that didn't work. Fortunately, we were able to have a wedding last summer, um, but we, we skipped the Azores piece. Uh, so Azores. I'm embarrassed to ask, where's, where's the Azores? Uh, they're, they're a series of islands right off of Portugal. It's only like a five hour flight from Boston. Um, and apparently I've had a few friends that have gone there. Um, I guess my 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 bucket list vacation is really just my honeymoon. I would love to be able to take one someday. <laughs> but now that we're having a kid, it won't happen for another 20 years. Nope. <laughs> Last question. Number seven. What is the worst advice you've ever received? Oh, man. I don't know that I've, I remember. Uh, I'm going to go with smell this. <laughs> <laughs> It's a good answer. Yeah, for sure. Well, RJ, thank you so much. This has been great, a real pleasure. Uh, is there anything we haven't covered today that you'd like to share before we wrap up? No, I mean, I'd say if, you know, obviously if folks are interested, feel free to reach out. Willpad.com, RJ Willpad.com is where you find me. Um, thank you guys so much for putting this podcast together. It's, uh, I'd say disruption is one of the things that I'm like most excited about. Um, so, you know, a podcast that's all about disruption in my industry is is super rad. And I'll be singing your song as much as I can to, to other folks. And, uh, you know, I, I look forward to look forward to being an, a continued listener. Well, thank you. We'll be singing yours. Really uh, appreciate and inspired by by what you all are doing. Uh, so thanks so much. And thank you all uh, for listening uh, today to this episode of Construction Disruption with R.J. Adler of the innovative Wheelpad Company. This has been very informative to hear how you saw a need and set out to meet it.
Please watch for future episodes of our podcast. We have more great guests on on tap. And don't forget to leave a review on Apple Podcasts or YouTube. Until then, change the world for someone. Make them smile. Encourage them. Two of the most powerful things we can do to change the world. God bless. Take care. This is Isaiah Industries signing off until the next episode of Construction Disruption. Disruption.